Well, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me in the book of Exodus to chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. And let's pray together. God, help us this morning. Meet with us here as you have through the songs of worship. So our hearts have slowly focused in on our attention toward you. God, I pray that you will meet us here in this study. I pray, God, that you will be glorified in the way that we respond to your word. I pray, God, that we will find joy in serving you and obeying you, and God, such joy that others will wonder what it is that we have so that we might tell them about you. God, be glorified in what we are about to do here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's days like this that remind me when I was a kid playing football out in the front yard. You remember those days, guys? You know, a bunch of guys from the neighborhood, and, and, and maybe you remember these things, calling plays. Now, back in the day, we didn't know what the world we were doing. It was kind of writing in grass, you know. We'll get down there, and we're like, okay, we're here, and we'll just, you know, you go over there, and you go over there. And, <laughs> and half the time, we'd get up to the line and go, what am I supposed to do again? <laughs> I mean, it just wasn't very clear, you know. Not until the football days where we actually learned plays, you know. Go here and go there didn't mean a whole lot. And I'll tell you, it's hard. It's really hard to do what you're supposed to do if you're confused about it. And that's kind of the feeling I got maybe just kind of reading through our text here this past week, studying the, all of the intricacies of what's going on. See, we're looking at the ten plagues in the book of Exodus, and everybody knows about them. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to live in America, it seems like. People come out of the birth canal and they get a copy of the plagues. I don't know what's going on here. Everybody knows about it, it seems, you know. You've seen the movie. Uh, you were in Sunday school once. And so it's all familiar. But there's some, there's some things in here that are just kind of unfamiliar. Like, like Really? I mean, really, God, you needed 10 of those? I mean, what was the whole point of that anyway? I mean, was it a contest between God and Pharaoh? Oh, like that would be a contest. I mean, what was really going on there, you know? And so I thought, instead of going through the minutia, which we're already relatively uh, uh, aware of anyway, you know, we can go back and review this afternoon, no, I thought it would be good to maybe just focus on the nature and the purpose of, of these plagues. Now, we know the context, right? The nation of Israel has been in, in slavery to the Egyptians, and it has just grown worse and worse, this condition, until they cried out to Yahweh, and God answered them with a baby. You know, it seems like an odd response, you know, but God's timing in all of this is absolutely perfect. And so Moses, raised in the palace, you know, leaves under some bad circumstances, and God sends him right back. You know, and, and here's the assignment. You go in there, and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. 
And that's where all of this begins. And it is really, really important that we understand specifically what Pharaoh's response was to that. And you may notice this as we talk about the nature of the plagues. We're going to see that primarily this is an answer to Pharaoh's question. Remember Pharaoh's question. In Exodus uh, chapter 5, we got it up here, I think, in verses 1 and 2, we notice this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And here it is, friends, verse 2 of chapter 5. You got your Bibles open, our middle name's Bible. If it's not on the screen, it ought to be on your lap, my friends. Here it is, Exodus 5 and verse 2. But Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? Imagine that question. It may have been a very legitimate question. I've got all kinds of gods here in Egypt that we are often very careful to worship and acknowledge and be wary of. But who is Yahweh that I should obey him? Now think about this. Ten plagues certainly answer that question. They most certainly do. But my friends, this is primarily a revelation of who Yahweh is. And you'll notice here, this was also, in some regard, a context between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. Kind of in the same way that uh, Elijah had this uh, big battle against the prophets of Baal back in uh, uh, the Older Testament here in uh, 1 Kings 18. You know, Elijah says, well, let's find out who's God. We'll set up this great big sacrifice. We'll put the woods in. We'll lay it all in the sacrifice. And then we will pray to our gods, and we will see who answers. You may recall how that one went, too. In a similar fashion, I'll tell you, those prophets of Baal, they're crying out and screaming. I mean, they're slicing themselves. Oh, Baal, please answer our prayers. And there's uh, Elijah over the sideline snickering at them. You know, he's, <laughs> he's like, maybe they're indisposed right now, you know, in the bathroom perhaps, you know, and he's just yucking it up. Because he knows very well that Baal is a god that is made up and behind this god that they have made up are demons, you know. And, and Elijah, you know, they're all done and they're wailing and, you know, moaning and groaning about it. And Elijah just asks and God sends fire from heaven and just destroys that sacrifice, beforehand even he's uh, he's got people dunking buckets of water unless they think it might have been a random spark or something you know I mean it was that kind of victory we're looking at here the contest between God and anything or anyone he's no contest at all and so surely this has more to do with just a God versus Pharaoh. Now, of course, in Egypt, they thought Pharaoh was a God, and they certainly presented themselves that way. But he wasn't much of a God compared to Yahweh, indeed. And so here's this context, this, this contest. And, uh, and you, will, uh, you will not necessarily see it here, but in understanding what's going on in Egypt at the time, 
you will see that there were some gods that were specifically proven to be nothing in the eyes of Egypt in light of, of Yahweh. And we, we find out that, that this was the intent in Exodus 12. Now, in Exodus 12, you know, the people of Israel are about to leave the place. And in Exodus 12 and verse 12, we read this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. God who is to be known. And so these were judgments on the, the beliefs, the Egyptians, and, and all of these things laid out here, you know. So God is making himself known through these plagues. He is making himself known. Now let's talk about some of the specifics. We got a chart here. You got one in your notes, probably in the back of your bulletin there. Kind of laid out here. Here we got the, the plagues. I only have it listed down to nine because that's all we're going to cover here today. All right? So we got uh, these nine plagues. And, and then we have this question asked. Is Israel exempt? I mean, when God was meeting out his judgment, were even his people affected? And the question, of course, is no. Because God knows how to save the righteous and judge the unrighteous. We learned that from Noah, didn't we? You know? And, and uh, Peter reminds us of that promise because God knows the difference between the wheat and the chaff. And he will most certainly save the righteous and judge the ungodly. And so here we find some exemptions going on. With the, with the, pl uh, the first plague, you know, the, all the water turns to blood. I mean, no matter where it is, it certainly is the Nile, um, according to chapter 7. But everything else as well is turned, all this water is into blood. Now, you know what that is? That is a major inconvenience. Am I right? I mean, where in the world, I, we gotta, what have we got to drink, uh, Verner's this week? I mean, where's, there's no water around here. It is an enormous inconvenience, right? I mean, this is a giant thing, but in the lives of these people, this is just really, really inconvenient. And then we go on to the frogs, and you will notice here in the far right column, a list of the gods that were specifically attacked in all of these things, you know? Gods of the river, we got this uh, hect. This, is, this, this guy took the form of a frog, so here is Yahweh throwing it right in their face, literally. I mean, these frogs were everywhere. They're in their bed. They're in their ovens. They're everywhere these people look. They're frogs, you know? So this, this is enormously inconvenient, <laughs> you know? And after a while, you know, these frogs are dead and they stink. And who likes stink? I mean, a really good stink. Nobody does. So it's bad enough that there's frogs everywhere. And I don't know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but that could make some really good frog leg specials, I'll tell you. Come on, you know? But seriously, the stink, the wretchedness of all of this, God has certainly got their attention, you know? Israel exempt? No, it's everywhere. How about the gnats? 
You know, you can see the God of IDK, which simply means I don't know, and either do other commentators. <laughs> you know, all they got is a bunch of guesses of what guess of what God that might have been. You got the flies everywhere, and nobody really likes flies. You know, was Israel exempt? Yes, they were. You know, how about the death of the livestock? Sure. You know, Udadik, uh, form of a fly, uh, Apis, the form of a bull, you know, all of these becoming very evident. Hey, wait a minute. I mean, they must have been sat back. And this took over a period of some nine months. The way you read it, it feels like every day something new happened, you know? I mean, that started to happen by weeks two, you know, you're packing your bags and moving to Israel or something. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but uh, some, some really bad stuff going on here. And, and there's more than just exemption here. Did you know that uh, not all of these plagues were announced? Some of them were right before Pharaoh. And, and it's kind of significant about this, you know. The ones that are announced here, you know, you got uh, the blood and the frogs and the flies and the livestock, you know, and, and all of these kind of laid out here. And it's important that we notice that. God isn't just randomly making these things happen. You know, there's some very specific announcements, and the reason is twofold. Because A, when God announces a judgment, the last thing he wants to do is lay out that judgment. That is an invitation for repentance. Change your mind now, or it's just gonna get bad. And the second, the second is this, to make sure that everybody knows the reason these things are happening is because the God of Israel is the one true God. Laying out, making it very clear. But nonetheless, they just kept coming. And eventually, these announcements just stopped working all together. You know, Pharaoh's just hardening his heart. Oh, I changed my mind. Okay, the plague is, is subsided, and back he goes to ignoring Yahweh. You know, so, and, and there feels like some contradictions here. I was asking a good friend of mine uh, yesterday, we were out doing some cool stuff, asking about what they knew about. And the first thing that came to their mind was, well, what about this thing about the cattle? I mean, here they are, they're dead in the fifth plague, and then they're dead in the hail as well. What's going on there? You know, you read that through and you're like, I thought God killed them already. What do they got more hail? Uh, you know, what do they got more cattle out in the fields? See, the, the hail is really a perfect example of the mercy of God. Because this was definitely an announced plague. And the announcement of, of this death of the livestock was given with, a, with an appeal Remove your servants from the field and your cattle from the field because this stuff is coming down and it is larger than any hail you've ever seen and everybody left in the field is going to die. Even pleading with them, when judgment comes, make sure you're not a part of it. They didn't listen. Not everybody listened, but uh, most people did not. And sure enough, some of these plagues involve death. You know, I mean, you got these major inconveniences, but you get some serious stuff going on here with his hail just destroying everything. You know, including, by the way, all the food that's still growing. 
followed up by the locusts who clean the rest of it up, and suddenly there ain't going to be supper in the fall. You know, so some serious, heavy-duty stuff. And you know what this really demonstrates for us? It, it is really about the hardness of our hearts. You know, regardless of the goodness of God and the good things he brings into our lives, and regardless even of his discipline, his micro-judgments to help you escape the greatest of judgments. And yet the hardness of the heart of man is, 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 is worse than rock and concrete and all of the other difficult, hard things that we have. We just like to grind our teeth and bury in and say, I don't care, I'm doing it my way. And every one of these judgments was an act of grace. He said, well, it wasn't very nice to kill all the cattle. I mean, they're adorable cows with their black and white and they're mooing all the time. And, and every one of those was a warning. Flee. Repent. Turn to me. But they would not. Maybe people in this room doing the same thing. Smarter. I can figure it out. Nah, this couldn't be true. Well, yeah, I mean, there seems to be a pattern in all of it. And the hardened heart continues growing harder every day. And every time you come and enter this building and you hear from the Word of God, it is a warning to you of God's grace. Be saved. Repent. Turn to God. He is good. And so we see the nature of these plagues. We've looked at some of the specifics of the plagues. But now we really want to focus on the purpose of these plagues. We're going to break for a commercial message. If you're in the band, I'm going to let you know that this sermon isn't going to be nearly as long. So just be prepared. They don't like it to be all show. <laughs> So that's me telling you I love you, okay? <laughs> no panic today. All right, good, good, good. All right, back to the purpose. Back to the purpose. And again, God is so good about making this so abundantly clear. This is not random chaos. This is not saying, well, let's see how they handle that one, you know? Very surgical in what God is doing here but with a very, very clear purpose. In Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16, in Exodus 9 and verse 16, very, very, very important verse, God speaking through Moses makes this abundantly clear, but for this purpose, I have raised you up, talking about Pharaoh, I have raised you up, why? To show you my power, why? so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is an opportunity for the Egyptians to get to know Yahweh up and close. But it's not just the Egyptians. My friends, the purpose of God bringing glory to himself, revealing himself to, to these people, was directed certainly to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, 
Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Certainly. While all of these plagues are going on, these announcements being made by Moses, who, by the way, his stock of stuttering and bumbling and worried about how he might do it, you know, starts from the first, but by the time you get about two-thirds of the way through, you see that Moses has a great reputation about, throughout Egypt, and he is a man who is feared. Started out a man who was afraid, and yet by doing what it is that God called him to do, he ended up a man who was feared. It's a great transition story, and I love a story when you watch people change, and certainly it happened here. In Exodus chapter 7 and verse 5, we read this, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Very clear purpose to bring glory to God himself, making himself known, certainly here to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And here is this phrase, shall know. Knowing seems to be a key aspect of this whole section in Exodus. God is making himself known. The Egyptians shall know. And it also, there was an impact, certainly you would anticipate, for the nation of Israel themselves. And it wasn't just to get them out, but they would know something about the God who was bringing them out. In Exodus chapter 10, in verses 1 and 2, this is what we discover. Then Yahweh said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Wait, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart, it was in order to accomplish his purpose. God raised up Pharaoh for this very particular purpose, to make himself known. Not just to the Egyptians and the Israelites, but the whole world. So then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs among them. And... All right, two things here. Going to Pharaoh, I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Why? That I may show these signs of mine among them. And there is a second. Not only that Egypt would know something about me, but this is also about Israel. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Why? That you may know that I am Yahweh. Making evidently clear who God is. That he is Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Over and over and over again in this book. This new nation must never, never, never let the ringing of these words Depart from their ears. He is Yahweh. He is God. He is the God of Israel. He is the God of power. He is the God who protects his people and redeems them. He is God. Hmm. And so, the purpose of these plagues is to reveal God's glory throughout all the earth. Again, Exodus 9, 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. Talking about Pharaoh, why did God raise up Pharaoh? Specifically to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all 
the earth. And so the address to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, revealing God's glory to Israel and ultimately has been said to the world. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Wow. And so the purpose of the plagues certainly was to reveal God's glory to Egypt, Israel, and to the world. But it also had a secondary feature, and that was this, to punish Egypt. Egypt had held the people of God in slavery for over 400 years. And as a matter of fact, God had told them ahead of time that this very thing would happen in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 12. Genesis 15 and verse 12. Here we are way back in Genesis. I mean, it's only a few chapters after chapter 12. Remember chapter 12 of Genesis? That God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, I will bless you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless that nation. I will bless anyone that blesses this nation. I will curse anyone that curses this nation. And through this nation, I will bless all the families of the earth. Personal, national, universal blessing, my friend. But here it is in chapter 15. Just a few chapters after this covenant... Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then Yahweh said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. It was prophesied. God had said this was going to come. And it met his purposes. One of the advancements of Israel's movements had to do with judgment on the people that were there. Moving into the land of Canaan involved both blessing for his people and judgment for the wicked people who live there. And so the purpose of these plagues to reveal God's glory, to punish Egypt, and then an oft not thought of purpose. Although it, it seems inherent in the, that the, the world may know me. And that is to put fear in the hearts of Israel's enemies. You see, God's plan was to bring them in that he might bring them out a form of an uncomfortable, exceedingly uncomfortable incubator in which they came in at 70 and they left as two and a half million people coming into this promised land. In Exodus and verse 15, we read in verse 14, Exodus 15, 14, the people have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. And now are the chiefs of Edom's dismay. Trembling seizes the leader of Moab and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. 
terror and dread fall upon them. Why? Because of the greatness of your arm. That's talking about God. And they are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. This is a song of praise by Moses. As a result of God leading his people out of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea, and watching that sea collapse on the Egyptians' army. It is a song of praise, but it speaks of the impact of all of these things on the surrounding nations. Israel, who had just days before been slaves, are now the big guy on the block. They are a nation to be feared. Why? Because of anything inherent about them? No, but because of their God. You don't mess with God's children. In Joshua, in chapter 2, we see some of the same thing. Here they are facing their first real obstacle into the promised land. They're about to face this walled city of Jericho. And you remember the plan? They send a couple of spies in there, scoot on up there and take a look and see what's going on. I mean, they didn't really need the spies to go in there, but they needed the encouragement they were about to hear. So in Joshua 2, in verse 8, we read this, Before the men lay down... You remember Rahab, the prostitute, had, had shown favor to them and looked after them. She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, listen to these words. Israel marching toward this promised land. They are fearful, even though they ought to trust their God who is able to do anything. They hear these words, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by Yahweh that as I have dealt kindly with you, they may also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sign. In all of these things, surely God could have made this whole nation take a long nap while Israel snuck out. But God had a very specific purpose in this, my friends. It was to make sure that the world knew who he is. That he is not a God to be trifled with. That what he says must be done. There is no other choice. God raised up Pharaoh to tighten his jaw and his fist and throw out his chest so that God could say, even the great nations cannot stand against me. God is a God to be obeyed. God is a God to be followed. Not a God to be trifled. So understand this, my friends. To wrap it up here, 
Every revelation from God is an invitation to trust God. When God reveals himself, regardless of how he might do it, via creation, via the scriptures, via the movement of God among his people, the right response is to trust and obey. It is the right response. It is the best response. And my friends, it is the only sane response when it comes with God. So the question lies here for you personally. What must God do in order for you to trust him? I mean, really, before we just come to the point, we say, let's just do it all God's way. Let's just go where he calls us to go. Let's start doing those things that he has called us to do. It is the only sane choice, my friend. For those of us that know God, to do anything else is foolish. And perhaps we can leave with this thought. Friends, we are accountable to God for what we know about him. We are accountable to him. It is a door of blessing to walk through this obedience to him. Or it is an invitation for discipline for his people or judgment for those who will not trust him. So trust him. I mean, with your whole heart, discover what it is that God wants. For his people, he was leading them to blessing, to a promised land, a good place. But for everyone that stood in his way, it was death. The choice is obvious, friends, but the question remains, what will you do?